It's Something for Nothing, the Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you, as always. Jerry, how's everything? Everything's going great. How are you, Steve? Oh, better than ever. No, really, how deep down, <laughs> Steve, how are you doing? We're still, we're still doing this podcast away from each other. After what, six, seven months? When's this going to stop? Um, I'm guessing... We may never do it together. It's so much easier, isn't it? Just t- <laughs> well, it's easier for you. You don't have to drive here. Yeah, so maybe we'll just never do it. We'll never see each other in the flesh again. We'll never see each other again. You can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are TheRushCast. And via email, we are TheRushCast at gmail.com. As always, the bass intro is done by our good pal Lex. And Jer, before you get to your email, I talked to our folks on Twitter your folks are on Twitter? <laughs> no, our folks. The folks oh, oh. that listen to the podcast. Oh, the, oh those folks. <laughs> folks. What a weird word folks is. I don't know where that came from. Folks. Anyway, about a month or so ago, we talked about signals. And we were talking about New World Man. And I asked you, is New World Man the catchiest Rush song? Mm-hmm. Because it was in the top 40, we figured it's catchy, right? That's right. So I asked the Twitterverse what they thought, and I got lots of suggestions. About the catchiest song? Not many people agreed that it was New World Man. Oh, okay. But here are some of the options I got, okay? Ralph says Tom Sawyer. Uh, Okay. Michelle, Free Will. Sure. Okay. The Enemy Within. One of our listeners, Jonathan, came in with that one. Okay. Chemistry. Vital Signs. Between the Wheels, Stuart from Scotland says War Paint. What do you think about any of these? Are they all catchy or none of them catchy? I don't know. Maybe I just have a different idea of what the word catchy means. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds like people are just throwing out songs that they like. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking a song that sticks in your head. Yeah. Fiddle says The Big Wheel. Does The Big Wheel stick in your head when you hear it? No. No. Turn the Page says listener Chris, and uh, Renee chimed in with Time Stand Still. We got tons more. I could go on. Okay. Is that the whole podcast today? Is you reading (laughs) these suggestions? (laughs) I don't know. I guess it's different for different people is what what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, I would think, you know, catchy is top 40. When I think of catchy, I think of pop songs. You know what I mean? I think of top 40 pop hits. Right. And Rush had exactly one top 40 pop hit new world man yeah and speaking of top 40 pop hits i totally forgot about this i got two different emails from two people and they found instances of casey case talking about rush nice nice someone did the work for us i love it someone always does the work for us. <laughs> that's what i love about this we we don't know what we're talking about we say hey can you find this for us because i looked i looked for an hour straight I went down every Casey Kasem rabbit hole I could find, and I didn't find anything. Yeah, me too. I I didn't find it either. But thankfully, our listeners are more on the ball than we are. Right. Steve and Jason, about two weeks apart, they sent me emails saying that they found two different times when Casey was talking about New World Man. Awesome. Well, we'll throw it in right here. Welcome to American Top 40. A pleasure to have you with us. My name's Casey Kasem, and on we go. Number 21. The three-man Canadian band Rush climbed two notches. It's their first Top 40 hit, New World Man. That's fantastic. I know. So awesome. That voice. <laughs> Casey Kasem voice. 
Good old Casey. God, love that. Brilliant. Thanks so much for that email. We didn't have the time to look for it, but you did, and we appreciate it. Oh, I looked for it. Oh, I I spent an hour. I just gave up. I know. I could not find it. So you got another email for us, Jer? I do. This is the email I was going to read. This is from Craig. Hey, Craig. He says, hi, Jerry and Steve. I've been listening since I found you guys when you were about five or six episodes in. I've been a Rush fan since high school in the mid-1990s. Presto was the first new album I got of theirs. I had a friend who would play them anytime we were hanging out, but I just didn't want to hear it. Then one day I heard Show Don't Tell and it just clicked. After that, I grabbed Chronicles and gradually went back and got all of the albums. Permanent Waves, perfect album, is my favorite. Moving Pictures is a close second. I've been meaning to write to you guys for a while saying how much I love the podcast. I was even going to suggest a guest for your show. Ooh. A guy from my town who graduated high school a few years before me, who was an amazing drummer in a Rush cover band and even wrote a book on Neil. So imagine my surprise when episode 50 popped into my podcast and Joe Bergamini's name was staring me in the face. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. I guess he knew him in high school. Nice. He said, I've gotten to see Rush nine times live, including the 2015 show at the Prudential Center, which was phenomenal. My first show was the Counterparts Tour in the U.S. Air Arena in Landover, Maryland. I collect audio and video bootlegs and have over 1,000 Rush audio boots and over 100 video boots. Let me know if you guys are ever looking for a copy of a show. And then he gave us the, the website. It's www.blackendtrading.net. So that's B-L-A-C-K-E-N-E-D-T-R-A-D-I-N-G. Awesome. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, I have yet to go on it, but I have nothing to trade him. Maybe he'll just give us a couple. That might be cool. Yeah. In exchange for us providing the podcast for him. (laughs) Is that how we're going to do things, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) This this show is our barter for everything? It's it's our barter. (laughs) Well, at least for, for a bootleg or two. Come on, it's worth that, don't you think? I'll go on a quick check and be like, well, <laughs> I'll have this coffee in exchange for my podcast. <laughs> it might work if the person is a Rush fan who is at the counter. Yeah, I'll have to check it out, see how it works. <laughs> so, Jar, a few months ago on the podcast, we had Ray Warzniak on to talk about the 40th anniversary of Permanent Waves. And now he is back to talk about his amazing Rush Collection. Ray, welcome back to the Rush Fancast. Steve, Jerry, good day to you both. Wait, I'm here to talk about my Rush Collection. All right, I was prepared to talk about my One Direction Collection. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong podcast here. We're crying out loud. Your One Direction Collection. That's good. That's good. That's good. So what is your most prized One Direction item, Ray? <laughs> Don't get me started. I saw One Direction twice with the eldest love of my life. I saw Harry Styles solo twice. I saw Niall Horan twice, all representative of just good parenting. (laughs) (laughs) The first question I have to ask you, Ray, is I've seen the list of your collection, Mm -hmm. and you mentioned that Martin Popoff asked you, do you really have all this stuff? Mm -hmm. That's my question. Do you really have all this stuff? Uh, No. It, 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 half of my list is a complete fabrication. I have about a third on there. I just copied it off the internet, threw it onto a good looking document. It impresses people. Just the, the quantity of it is impressive, but, but no, I don't have all of it. Yes. I'm sorry, Steve. Indeed. I do. Yes. I have it all. My list is now 
my list stands probably at 99 pages. If I'm not mistaken, when I was interviewed for the documentary there back in 2000, in June of 2015, at that point, I think it was 91 pages. So in the last five years, I've added eight pages worth of nonsense to this beast. And indeed, to answer your question, everything that's on there is it's real. It's here at my fingertips. My collection is incredibly well organized. I'm neat and clean and organized to an admittedly unhealthy degree. One of the chapters in my book on OCDness is dedicated to just that. That was a joke in there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that one's taking the longest to write though, right? Indeed. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But yeah, I'm neat and clean and organized to admittedly unhealthy degree. And my collection, not only is it, is it real, if you were to ask me, hey, Ray, I saw item X on your list, I can put my finger on it easily and immediately. I'm not, you know, going up into the attic and digging through boxes kind of thing. It's all accessible. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I will talk to you two happily about my collection. I happily share it with friends who come to my house uh, just out of pride. I think it's a difference. Some people have said in the past, you know, gee, what are you, some kind of hoarder? which I immediately say, no, I'm not. I've seen enough, first of all, I've seen enough episodes of that TV show of hoarders. But those people, a lot of those hoarders claim that they're collectors, but collectors really want to share what they have with other enthusiasts with pride. So I'm happy to talk about all my nonsense here. Although I will continue to sarcastically reference it as, as nonsense, I, continue, I will happily talk to the both of you about it and share it with people who come here happily and with pride. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian John Hodgman. No, he's not on my list of favorite comedians. Oh, he says that the difference between a hoarder and a collector is presentation. Oh, nice. I like having, that. Having things out in the open for people to look at and you can show off. Mm -hmm. So, right, you have this long list. When you come across something, do you immediately know whether or not you have it in your collection? Yeah. Really? I'm a slave to this list for crying out loud. Part of me wonders if the collecting that I continue to do is out of contractual obligation to the band or if I'm just a slave to this list. But I know immediately if I see something online in a store, whatever the case may be, I know immediately whether I have it or not. So you're impossible to buy a birthday present or a Christmas present for Rush related. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that's okay. That's one thing impossible to buy a Rush business for. If there's a release coming out, whether it's a new DVD, a box set, a book, a magazine, uh, anything, I'm going to go out and get it immediately. If something is announced today that a particular collectible, I'll use the term loosely, is you know coming out in three months, I'm not going to say, well, three months, that's going to be October. I hope somebody's going to get it for me for Christmas. No, I'm the fan. I'm responsible for my collection, and I will buy this stuff myself immediately. You're, you're right, Jerry. I don't get things for my birthday or for Christmas. I've taken care of all those things myself already. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with the live audio recordings, Ray. This is at the top of your list. You have 431 live recordings. How did you acquire all of these? What format are they in? And have you listened to all of them? Oh, have I listened to all of them? Absolutely, I have. And I think part of my story with collecting, I wrote this down, Steve, part of my story with collecting begins with the thrill of when I got that first bootleg in the mail. And I love comparing that adolescent enthusiasm of 1984 to how we feel now in 2020. I remember getting this cassette in the mail and just thinking, oh my God, 
I have a copy of a show that Rush played in Colorado? <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> At that point, it was so new to me. Now, here we are in 2020 with people sitting at home on their computers watching shows live from halfway around the world. But back then, when it first started, and I got that first audio tape in the mail, I think it was from Colorado, or I know I also got one very early from the Oslo Norway show from the Hemispheres Tour. I remember getting that one. Uh, But have I listened to all 431 of them? Absolutely, I have. I understand that, of course, a lot of these I I began collecting back in 1982-ish, 83-ish. So as they were coming in, I listened to a lot of these back then. But as I'm getting new ones now, of course I listen to them. What's what's the format? Uh, One of your questions there, Steve, is about the format. All the ones that I got back in the early 80s there, those were sent to me on cassette. And I have every one of those cassettes directly behind me, appropriately labeled, and it's not, I can't even tell you when the last time was I pulled one of them off the shelf. Heck no. I love them. They mean so much to me, those early bootlegs that I got. Of course, I pull that cassette off. I have tons of CDs now. I should say, you know, live CDs that have been sent to me. But I would never go to a show and tape it myself. I left that to the experts. And I knew that somehow, one way or another, they would eventually end up in my collection. Now, do you still make copies of those and trade them with other fans? Or have you stopped doing that? Occasionally still, there was a project that I was involved in within the last couple years that necessitated me copying some of those. So yeah, I still happily copy them for anybody who's in need. Uh, but at this point, it's not necessarily just trading, you know, hey, you're a fan, you haven't heard these, let me send a couple things to you. You've got to hear this at the end. Just a really sharing fanaticism with each other. It's not, well, I'll send you this if you send me something back. None of that. That would be impossible, right? No, you know, there's there's tons of things. There's tons of things out there that I know that I don't have. As large in scale as my collection is now at 99 pages, I know there's still 99 pages worth of stuff that I don't have. And that's part of the thrill of continuing to be a collector. But I do want to add that even though my collection is as grand as it is, it's no more precious to me than what either of the two of you gentlemen may have or what another fellow collector or fan may have. If there's another fan who's been a collector for a long time, but maybe only has two pages worth of stuff. I think I wrote that to you, Jerry. It's no less precious than what I have. I think I quoted Neil's line there recently, though we might have precious little, it's still precious. So a fan who has two pages worth of stuff, as opposed to my 99 pages worth of things, those two pages I'm sure are no less precious to that person than are my 99 pages worth of nonsense. I will say, as much as I have, I am so glad that I am not a collector of either the Beatles or Elvis or Kiss, because as many times as I go to record shows and I'm surrounded by Beatles memorabilia, Elvis memorabilia, Kiss memorabilia, I'm just so thankful that I didn't decide to dedicate my life to one of the three of them. Granted, I have all the Beatles U.S. and U.K. releases, band and solo, and a lot of Beatles books and magazines. But certainly what I have with them pales in comparison to my Rush collection. My Rush collection has certainly cost me you know, many multiple thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars over the years. But compared to what it would be like if I were a fan of any of those three bands or artists, well, I'm thankful I made the choice that I did. I will say there is just something about having that 
collector gene in me that I recognize. Like I do have a, a substantial collection of Seinfeld memorabilia, whether it's Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian or Seinfeld, the TV show, I have a substantial ish Seinfeld collection. And I think an even more substantial collection of memorabilia or music related to the alarm, the band, the alarm, but that's representative. I think just of that collector gene I have in me, but the difference is with, with the alarm or with Seinfeld, I don't feel like I need to have everything, but with rush, it is this, need to acquire everything that there is. So as much as I know that I have, I know there's still 10 times more out there that I don't have. Now let's go back to the beginning, right? You saw a rush for the first time in the early 80s, right? April 5th, 1983, 4583. That's why I am, by the way, Ray 4583. Oh, wow. Yes. April 5th, uh, 1983, the day that changed my life. So do you have, like, what's the earliest thing that you bought that you consider part of your collection? Uh, I remember getting this circus magazine when I was on vacation with my family. I think it was in 1983. I bought this circus magazine. I saw just a little rush blurb in there. And at that point, my fanaticism was just beginning to take off. And I felt like, well, I'm loving their music as much as I am. Let me start getting my hands on anything I can read about these guys. So at that point, I just started buying I bought that singular circus magazine. And after that, it was just a bunch of other magazines. Then I decided well, in one of those circus magazines, I saw they had a pen pal section. And I thought, well, I'm going to put my name in this pen pal section and reach out to other Rush fans who might be similar in their level of enthusiasm and see if they want to trade with me. I did. And then my collection just completely took off thereafter as people were writing to me as a response to this pen pal ad that I had, some of these people were just so incredibly generous, just sending me things for nothing. But it was a couple people who sent me at the outset, they sent me their own list. You know, hey, Ray, nice to meet you. I'm a Rush fan as well. Here's a copy of my list of my collection. I thought, well, I guess I better start putting together a list of my own. So my first versions of my beloved Rush list were just handwritten handwritten list that every time I got something in the mail, I'd sit down and write a new handwritten version of it. So then I realized, well, I better start to make some photocopies of it. And I thought, well, I better start making some kind of permanent document here. So it was in 1985, I think then that I started, I would go to my college. I went to Buffalo State College and I would sit in the computer room and update that beloved rush list of mine that still sits next to me here ridiculously all these years later. So Ray, I take it you weren't married before you started this obsession. I'm curious how, how your wife feels about this. Does she enjoy your collecting? There's mm. mm. <laughs> <laughs> a strategic pause here. How do I want to handle this one? <laughs> My first wife has a healthy disdain for the band. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, indeed. My, my life with regard to Rush began long before... I met my wife and thankfully she's incredibly understanding and, and supportive of some of the cool things that I've experienced. So you mentioned Ray, mm -hmm. that there are many, many things that you don't have in your collection. Yeah. What are a few of the things that you don't have that you wish you had? What's your Holy grail of rush memorabilia? Maybe some kind of a headlining live caress of steel tour show. That would be awesome. But I'll get, okay, I'll, if you don't mind, Steve, I'll kind of expand on that question. 
Holy Grail. Okay, I think that I think items one and two on the Holy Grail for collectors with regard to Rush are the first single and the first album. And I'll say right now, I have neither of those two. I don't have the first single. I know that goes for in excess of you know forty billion dollars to find it on eBay or something like that. I have neither of those two, but I, I use those two, and I'm sure at some point soon they'll make their way into my collection. And Ray, you're talking about the the first pressing of the first album, correct? But it, those two items are clearly rare. But I made a delineation here on my notes of the use of the word rare. To me, there are items in my collection that are incredibly precious to me, but they're not necessarily rare. At the same time, there are items in my collection that I think are definitively rare. With regard to the first album and the first single, quantitatively speaking, those two items are undeniably rare, but the Rush fan base doesn't know that they exist. Conversely, in my collection, there are some things I have that I know they're rare because I think some people don't even know that these items exist. So I, I kind of draw the line there between being rare or not with regards to just the pure knowledge of their existence. For example, I'm going to turn around and grab this one here behind me. <laughs> this, item, this item right here, I think this item that I'm holding is incredibly rare. And it's rare because... I don't think anybody even knows that something like this exists. This cool little, can you see this little Oh yeah. records promotional Presto pencil it says rush on Atlantic records, cassettes and compact disc Presto with the little bunny coming out of the head at the top. That's cool. That it, yeah, it's, it's cool, but I know that this is rare because I know a total of zero people who also have this. I've seen it for sale on eBay a total of zero times. It's in great condition for sure. Yeah. This to me is rare because as some of your listeners will be listening back to this podcast, hearing me talk about this Presto pencil, I guess is the majority of them would say Presto pencil. I've never even heard of that. Have your listeners heard of the first album released on moon and the first single? Of course they have. And maybe some of them have it. But this is something I think is rare because of the simplicity of that, I think people didn't even know that something like that exists. I'm just amazed that you just turned around and picked it up and showed it to us. Like you do know where everything is. It's right next to my this other pencil. <laughs> I don't consider this to, to be really that, that rare. This pencil here was the pencil from the baseball all-star game in Baltimore from 1993 when Ged sung the Canadian national anthem. Oh, wow. At that all-star game. Here's a pencil from that I'll show you. Not a piece of Rush memorabilia directly. Tell me when you want me to just start going down the list, and I'll just start <laughs> talking about a bunch of these things. But, but I guess the question is, does the fact that something's rare make it more important for you, or do you have a special relationship with certain items that aren't necessarily rare? Something that everyone might have that you still think is a prized possession in your mind. I'd say the latter, Steve. Whether something is really rare doesn't mean that it's going to hold a special, a more special place in my heart. This Presto pencil that I just shared with you, supremely cool and incredibly rare. Is it the favorite thing in my collection? Good God, no. I think the both of you gentlemen, everybody listening to this podcast, who doesn't have all of your ticket stubs? If you don't have your ticket stubs, you two and everybody else listening, I cast shame on you. <laughs> I've got mine. I don't think Jerry has his. I have to admit, a, a long time ago, 
I think I just threw the whole bag out. I had all I had all of my ticket stubs from every concert I had been <laughs> Ray's to. Ray's holding like, his hands on his head. I know from the er, from the mid '80s through I don't know the late '90s. Oh, I'm grabbing my photo album with ticket stubs here. <laughs> Having it. Ray's going to get his ticket stubs. There it is. Yeah, this is my ticket stub. This is where I keep my tickets up. My rushed. Oh wow. My rushed ticket stubs in this album, and there, you know, on page one. There's my tickets up for my first show, 4583. That is incredibly precious to me. When I die and I'm laying in my coffin, that's going to be in the pocket of my jacket, my tickets up to that first show. So you've seen Rush 113 times, Ray. Correct, yes. Now, has your obsessiveness also caused you to catalog all of the songs you've seen performed? Do you have that information? No, I, I don't see that as being a part of the collection to me, the collection is all tangible. Something like that would be just an online document that I could easily put together. But to answer that question, no. You mentioned you saw rush 10 times in the front row. You had that in parentheses, 10 times on your list. Am I correct? 10 times in the front row, seven times in the second row, a total of 39 times, 39 out of 113. I was in the first 12 rows. Wow. I don't think we were ever in the first 12 rows, Jared. That is not true. When we saw uh, the Hold Your Fire tour, we were right up front. I think we were in the 15th row, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the 15th row. Sorry. We were three We were three behind Ray at that show. We were- Yesterday was the 36-year anniversary of my first ever front row show. Wow. The Grace Under Pressure tour was my first time I sat front row. Okay, Grace Under Pressure. Back to the collection. Grace Under Pressure. One of the things that's really a prized part of my collection is the Japanese Grace Under Pressure tour book. That's something that I wanted for a long time. And I think I even have, it's one of the rare moments on my list where I have some sort of parenthetical addendum next to the inclusion of that item, just saying, hooray, after (laughs) noting that, because I wanted that one for a long time. That Neil's bio, the text in the beginning of that tour book is written in Japanese. And there's, I'm not sure if it's eight or 12 additional pages in there that wasn't included in the American version of that tour book. That was a real exciting addition to my collection. That Japanese Grace Under Pressure tour book, I'd put that at the top of my list of just particular favorites. Again, is it rare? No. Anybody who went to that show in Japan in 1984 got that tour book. So how rare can that be? Also, my there's a one poster that I, there's something about posters that I just find to be really cool. I, I love the addition of a new poster to my collection. Uh, I'm looking here. I have 141, 141 posters. And one of those in particular was something that I sought out for a long time. The Rush Presto poster. This poster was sold only at the last three shows that the band played on the Presto Tour in California. This poster features pictures of the band playing live on the Presto Tour, but I didn't see those. I didn't see any of those final three shows on that Presto Tour. And once I was made aware of the availability of this poster, I immediately sought that out. So I have that one proudly on display, that Rush Presto poster that one, I just think that one's cool. I think posters are just really cool. There we go. So those two items, Ray, are those your two most prized possessions? The Presto poster and the Grace Under Pressure Japanese tour book? I think my most prized possession, I, I, well, I think my most prized possession really would have to be my first concert ticket stub. That just means 
so much to me. Same thing, my the Rush Signals t-shirt that I bought at that first show, of course I still have that. That means a lot to me. So too does my collection of the Spirit of Rush fanzines. The Spirit of Rush was born in 1987, founded by my great friend, the late Mick Burnett. I saw an ad in Kerrang! Magazine in 1986. Mick had put an ad in Kerrang! Magazine. And by 1986, I had enough of a collection that I was willing to contact him because I thought I had something to offer at that point. Even though my collection was in its infancy, I was confident I had something that I could offer this guy. So I contacted him and we began a great friendship there in 1986 that lasted until his sudden passing in the early 2000s. I was the North American distributor of that fanzine for maybe two thirds of its existence. I did writing of articles for the fanzine, I would send him photographs and ads, etc. So that collection of the entire body of the Spirit of Rush fanzine Certainly that collection is very precious to me. There was one, if I can add, if you don't mind, there was one edition of the fanzine very early on in which a special offer was made to the subscribers, to subscribers of the Spear of Rush. At that point, we had developed a good relationship, a real good relationship with Andrew McNaughton, uh, the band's personal assistant and photographer. Andrew wanted to offer a limited edition set of prints only to subscribers of the fanzine. So those three portraits that appear on the back cover of Presto, Andrew made a limited edition available of 500 of those printed on heavy paper in black and white autographed by Andrew. So I went to in early 1990, I went to his office there in Toronto. He gave me 500 flyers that I then included in, in sending out the fanzine to all the people around North America. I included this flyer that Andrew had designed for any of the subscribers who wanted to purchase this set of three prints. I say all that as it relates to my collection. Certainly those three prints that I have framed on display, those, those mean a lot to me. That's on my list of precious things. I'm just going to look down this list of mine here and continue to ramble about some of the highlights. (laughs) Is that okay? Sure. I want to be respectful of your of any questions, but I'll just continue to ramble on here. Uh, certainly, there are things that have come out in the last 10 or 12 years that I've been incredibly blessed and thankful to have been a part of. And any of these items in my collection, those absolutely mean a lot to me. When I get a, a book or a, anything that has my name in it, holy cow, that is incredibly precious to me. Certainly not rare, but these respective 40th anniversary box sets that I've been happy to be a contributor to, when I get those delivered here to my house and I open it up and see my name in that, oh my God, that's an incredible part of my collection I'm super proud of. Are those rare? No, they're not rare, but those are very precious to me. Those certainly mean a lot to me. Uh, I have tons of autographs from all three of the guys. I've met them, according to my list, I've met them. I'm up to 32 times as of today that I've met them. And I have a lot of autographs from all three of them. But really, an autograph doesn't mean as much to me as a photograph does, for sure. Like, I think the person I would most like to meet now at this point in my life, I'd most like to meet Bill Murray. Love him. And if I met Bill Murray, I don't know, I'd rather have a photograph of he and I rather than his autograph. So the photographs that I have 
here in my collection of me and any one of the guys in the band, those photographs of me and them together, those absolutely mean a lot. Those absolutely mean a lot, those photographs. Now, if you got a picture of you and Bill Murray, and Bill Murray's wearing a Rush t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put that on the top of my want list. <laughs> Just always carry a Rush t-shirt with you in case you meet anybody famous like that. Okay, I think I also mentioned Jerry in an email about Ged's new bass book. Yeah. I have a total of six of those. I have six different copies of his book. Admittedly absurd. But in one of those books, his autograph, to me, he just wrote unscripted. I didn't tell him to write this. Gave it to him. He gave it back to me and it said, to the biggest fan. My first reaction was, I'm not the biggest fan. I'm only five foot six. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, there's people who are bigger than me. But him saying to the biggest fan, for that reason, again, this book that I have of his, is it rare? No. Thousands and thousands of Rush fans have that book. But that particular one of the six that I have, that one really means a lot to me because of the singularity of that script that he wrote in there. Yeah. I was just going to ask you a question about one specific thing. I think we might have spoken about it before. It is the Trapper Keeper folder for the Permanent Waves tour. Yeah. Well, just a two, it's a two-pocket folder that I will say, I hope it's okay to say this, I was disappointed that this Permanent Waves two-pocket folder did not get included in the new Permanent Waves 40th Anniversary Deluxe Edition box set. I presented it for potential inclusion. Sadly, it didn't receive the necessary amount of votes. It wasn't in there. But I have this Permanent Waves folder from 1980 depicting the band on the front and the back, circa the Permanent Waves era, the Permanent Waves background coloring that is that's a real cool one for sure and it's it's really is like a folder you might use to go to school right yeah do you have any idea how that one came about that was not an ebay purchase so you've got to know i'll i'll answer that respectfully jerry but i started collecting in you know 82 ish so ebay wasn't born until x number of years later So the majority of my collection are things that I've acquired through trading with other people or just the generosity of other fans. And hopefully I've been just as generous to fans as well over the years. I know that that particular item that you're asking about, it was not an eBay purchase. I think it was from my my beautiful friend, Monica, who lives in Phoenix. Monica and Steve are two gigantic Rush fans. I could be wrong, but I think that was that permanent waste folder was due to the friendship and generosity of Monica. And do you think, was that sold in stores or was that given away? Were there 10 of them made? Like, I can't imagine going into Staples, among, going school shopping uh-huh. and, and seeing a permanent waves folder. <laughs> If you want to wait for about 11 seconds. Oh, here we go. I want <laughs> yeah, to see I it. Do. Let's see I it. I do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Here he goes. Ray's going back. He's, let's see how long it takes, Jar. Okay. 10, 9, <laughs> 8, 7, 6, uh-huh. 5, yes. 4, C- count slower. 3, <laughs> 2. He said 11 seconds, Jar. It's taking him longer. Oh, we got it. 11 seconds. Good job, Ray. Uh-huh. <laughs> here it is. In fantastic condition. Wow, the Velcro still sounds great. The chance of me selling this on eBay is exactly 0%. Yeah, here it is. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Open up, there's your... Wow. Inside, there's the back cover. Nice. 
Well, that's in pristine condition, Ray. Yeah. Again, I had hoped that this would have been included in the deluxe edition box set. I presented it, but sadly that didn't happen. I'm not so sure why that one jumped out at me as being uh, just a, a great thing in your collection, a folder. I like that you picked up on the, the minutia of that particular little something. Well, here's one that jumped out at me, Ray. I love it. I love it already. The Orbit Room Menu, the restaurant owned by Alex Lifeson. Uh-huh. Did you eat there? Yes. Did you steal the menu? I'm currently borrowing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to return it. I'm borrowing it. How dare you? How dare you imply it? Any any sort of illegality in the acquisition of anything here. It's a long-term borrowing. Yeah. <laughs> Indefinitely. How was the food, Ray? I'm sure I got only the hamburger and fries. That's all I get wherever I go. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about another item, Ray. Hold on. Are you going to get the menu? Well, the menu's over there. I could easily get it. Here, here's, his, here's his business card with his name on it. Oh, wow. That's cool. Wow. Yeah, I like that one. I might have other ones that don't have his name on it. Okay, go ahead, Steve. What's next? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame backstage pass for the Rush Fan Day event. The reason this jumped out at me is you put in parentheses, it was backstage pass number 001. So was that the first pass distributed was to you? Yes. That's great. Yeah, that's amazing. That's cool. It's a cool item. I, I like yeah. the fact that it is 001. I, I do like that. Yeah, it's great. Hey, you're the number yeah. one fan, right? Well, according according to that, according to that laminate, yes, I am. I am fan number one, according to that. <laughs> and again, writing to the biggest fan. Right. That's right. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at my. Go ahead, Steve. You have another one. No. Well, here's the question I have. Sure. As the number one fan, Getty said it himself, right? To the biggest fan. You're the biggest fan. Mm-hmm. Is it possible you know more about Rush? than the band themselves in some cases. Is it possible? Sure, anything's possible. Is, is it true? <laughs> Let's hope that we all find out one day very soon. <laughs> That's all I'll say. That sounds very cryptic. Can, can I just throw a couple of random ones out here? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I want sure. to respect whatever you two noted. Uh, 1983, an album released by a French-Canadian young lady named Marie-Lynn Hammond. Uh, she put out an album called Vignettes in 1983, featuring Getty on that album. When I got that vinyl copy of that album, that was quite an acquisition there. Okay, I also have another album called Dream on the Horizon, a tribute to the Olympic spirit. That came out in 1988, and there's a song called Hands of Man that Alex played on. Actually, Alex played on two versions of Hands of Man. One is instrumental one has vocals, but that particular album, Dream on the Horizon, a tribute to the Olympic spirit by the big picture as it's, as they're collectively billed. I think that one's, not, not think, I know that one's pretty rare. Uh, there's a CD-ROM released in 1985, Hip to the Tip, Live at the, Live at the Orbit Room by the Dexters, featuring Alex playing on two songs on that CD. Uh, amidst all of my photographs, I have a lot of offstage shots of the guys in my collection. Those pictures of them just on the street, those are really pretty cool. Some of the ones that took others that fans had sent to me, I think I mentioned before, the pictures that I have of me and the band, those obviously are part of my collection that mean a lot to me. I'm sure that's the case with anybody, anybody who has a picture of themselves and the band from whatever the event was, whether it's a backstage meet and greet or some of the other cool things I've had 
the privilege to experience, those are just really cool. I mentioned before any of these things in my collection that I was privileged to be a part of, those mean so much to me. When I got the Permanent Waves Deluxe box set in the mail, I saw my name in there. That just totally means a lot to me. Any of these box sets are over the last two years, I wrote the liner notes for Russian Rio and Time Machine and Clockwork Angels. To see my name in those, that totally means a lot to me. So, of course, those are particularly prized possessions in my collection. What about this one? Who else out there has the Clean Slate cassette? Alex produced an album by a Canadian band called Clean Slate, formerly, formerly called Tabula Rasa. They were originally Tabula Rasa, then they became Clean Slate. Alex produced an EP by them in 1988. That's clever. It's a clever name change. Yeah, indeed. In fact, that Tabula Rasa, recently, within the last month or so, uh, to promote the release of the new Permanent Waves anniversary, Music Vaults had put a crossword puzzle online to promote this new anniversary release, an extensive and very difficult crossword puzzle. I know the author who wrote the article. You two gentlemen are talking to him right now. Excuse me, who wrote that? (laughs) We know him too. I was asked to write the line. I was asked to create that crossword puzzle. And I said, Ray, make it permanent wave centric, but feel free to include other random rush trivia. And I did include within that crossword puzzle, that little nugget that I just shared about clean slate. Oh, wow. Is that still available online? Yeah. If you did music vaults, I think if you look for it now, though, the answers are included. Oh. It was published in the... June 12th edition of the Montreal Gazette and the Toronto Sun. So I have those. That's a really cool thing in my collection, of course, just to have, just to have that. There were also, there was a Hemispheres crossword puzzle that Music Vaults put out that I authored as well. There was a 2112 multiple choice quiz that I authored as well. So if you look those up when we're done here. Okay, what about this one? In December of 1990, December 5th of 1990, at the fourth annual Toronto Music Awards, I was there. I went to the, it was in Mississauga, Ontario. I went to the Toronto Music Awards. I have the program from that night. And that's just cool to have that. But the photographs I have for that night of Getty on stage accepting his award for best Toronto bass player. And Neil was there. Neil was present that night. Him on stage accepting his award for best Toronto drummer. Those photographs to me, those are really cool. And I think those are kind of rare because I have seen no other mention of any of this Toronto Music Awards from December of 1990 anywhere. The Mendelssohn Joe cassette featuring Getty from 1992. The Boys Brigade cassette. I'm sure there's people who could say that they have the Boys Brigade album. I love that record. But who can say that they've actually listened to it in the last two weeks? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I have a question for you now, just based on the your extensive uh, tape collection. How often are you dipping into these live recordings? How often you're like, I really want to hear, you know, Spirit of Radio from the Presto tour. Like, what can you do? You do that? Do you just go to one specific song? Good question. I, I will say that I dip into the tapes. I can't say every day, I will say multiple days per week, but when I do so, I'm mostly pulling out interviews to listen to. I don't pull the live tapes off my shelf as often, but I do, I do pull them out 
often enough. I probably walk around my neighborhood doing my six mile walks, listening to my Sony Walkman with a tape inside. (laughs) Judges me. I'm flipping them off for not having one in the first place. So you've listened to every cassette. You've watched every video. You've read every book. You've read every magazine article. Mm -hmm. You've done all the jigsaw puzzles. I hope Mm -hmm. there's nothing in your collection that you haven't viewed or listened to or perused at least once. Correct. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, like nothing that you just kind of gotten as a present or bought and just kind of stuffed somewhere. No, it's 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 what I do. Have your keys been on all the keychains, Ray? Good lord, no. Those keychains <laughs> are not meant to be used. They're meant to be proudly put on display. It stand around the velvet rope and look at them at a distance. <laughs> no keys are adorning them. Okay, there's now, I did listen to this one. In fact, I pulled out the shelf recently. Okay, this is another real, real rare one. It's called the Star Jam Series. The Star Jam Series put out a Neil Peart style Star Jam Series cassette in like 1987-ish. And I don't think I've ever seen this Star Jam Series Neil Peart style cassette appear anywhere. I will say that I did submit it to Martin Popoff. I know you two gentlemen talked to Martin in the semi-recent past. Martin's next book, Limelight, I sent him a bunch of photographs and memorabilia for potential inclusion in his book. Hopefully that Star Jam series, hopefully he chose to include a scan of that Star Jam series cassette in his book because I don't think anybody has ever seen that one. I attended all the Kumbaya concerts in September of 93, 94, 95. These were annual events held in Toronto put on to raise money for AIDS and other charities at the time. Alex appeared at all three of those. I have the t-shirts from all three of those Kumbaya festivals. The second one in 1994, there's a cool Kumbaya calendar that Alex appears on that calendar. I just think that one's really cool. And that one to me is kind of rare. You know, at one point I decided, well, you know, I want everything. And that hasn't changed. That's kind of still just what drives me is I know that as much as I have, like I said at the outset, there's still that much more out there for me to acquire. And I, I still want it all. Even, even though the band is retired, you know, I'm surrounded by all this stuff. So to me, they're still incredibly relevant. Do you ever think about the future plans of your collection, Ray? Where do you see the Ray Warzniak collection, say, 50 years from now? That's a good one. Well, 50 years in 50 years. 50 years from now, I'll be 67. So hopefully- <laughs> Jared, you want to get your calculator? Or- <laughs> it, it, took, it took me a second, but I got it. Hopefully in 50 years, Steve, when I'm 67, I, I will see it surrounding me still. Ah, that's, a good, that's a good one. Time, time will tell. Uh, I'm sorry to be so nebulous and say, I, I don't know. So many times, as you can imagine, a lot of people have said, my God, this collection of yours is absurd. It's ridiculous. You can make a lot of money from, you know, you can make a lot of money if you sell this. And I've had fellow, you know, real big, ardent Rush fans and collectors over the years decide to sell their things. I remember this one gentleman, I'll, I'll keep him anonymous. Remember that when this one gentleman back in the early 90s decided he was going to sell his collection, I, I just... I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand how he could do this. So all of these things 
Steve and Jerry, both that, that I've accumulated here, I'm not accumulating this so that I could parlay it into some kind of cash cow in years to come. In fact, one time this was in on the Counterparts tour in 1994 in Indianapolis. At that point, I, I, I think I had seen four shows in a week. Alex came out of the hotel that afternoon. I approached him as would normally be the case. And I just obviously caught him on a bad day. These guys have been incredibly understanding and generous with their time and polite and friendly and all that good stuff. But I maybe I caught him on one bad day because I, I approached him that afternoon asking him to sign something. And he just said, haven't I signed about 40 of these for you lately? And he just sped off, you know, got into the vehicle and sped off. Well, I was, I was so upset that I was upset with the fact that he thought I was asking for these signatures on some of these items to parlay it into some kind of capital gain when that's absolutely not the case. So I was even more determined the next day, uh, the next show that we saw a day later said, well, we got to go to the hotel and we got to you know, find the guys and I've got to tell them. So indeed, when they came out the next day, I told Alex, I said, Hey, look, you don't have to sign anything. I want you to know I'm asking you to sign these things as a fan and, and a collector, I'm not selling these in any way. And he said, yeah, I, I know, I understand. So it's kind of a roundabout way, Steve, of answering your question. I don't have all of these things here because I want to parlay it into hundreds of thousands of dollars. Can I? Yeah, probably. But this band has just meant so much to me for the last 40 years of my life. I, I can't, I can't imagine living my life without all this stuff that surrounds me. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't asking the question suggesting that you sell it. I know if the collection was mine, mm -hmm. you know, I'm 50 years old. 50 years from now, I'm going to be gone. Mm -hmm. I would want to make sure that this collection that I've spent so much time accumulating mm -hmm. goes to someone who is just as enthusiastic about it as I am. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I totally understand. Yeah, I completely understand. So that's why I was asking the question. Yeah, wh whoever in Whoever inherits it. Will, will have to be somebody to, to which this collection would mean something for sure. You know, I'm just looking down my list of other, I was mentioning a couple of albums or CDs there before I buy only hard copy music. Like uh, Alex took part in a remake of smoke on the water circa 1989. And I have five different versions of that release a two 12 inches two seven inches, a cassette, maybe one other something, maybe five or six things. I have five or six versions of this Smoke on the Water release. Now, I'm sure that in 2020, I could easily find it and download it. But no, if you come to my home and I want to share my collection with you, I want to proudly pull this particular vinyl record off my shelf. I want to proudly pull this particular CD off my shelf and share it with you. I don't download anything. All, my Rush collection is hard copy everything. The music I have is hard copy music. It's ephemeral enough as it is, right? You don't need a digital version of it. Correct. Yeah, I wouldn't even add that to my collection. And, and as, soon as, as soon as I get something, like yesterday, for example, I just got a new magazine yesterday. As soon as I get something, it immediately gets added to the list. I don't throw it on the table and think, oh, I got to make sure in a couple of weeks. No, I come home, I sit down and disciplined enough to bring my list up, add it to the list, and then go about enjoying whatever it is that I've just recently acquired. I had to stop quantitatively identifying my magazine articles numerically. For a long time, I was 
getting a new magazine and almost dreading the fact that, oh, I got this new magazine from 1984. Now I've got to slot it into its place. That's number 412. Now I have to update everything from 412 to 1006 or whatever it is. So I just decided to stop identifying my magazine articles numerically. That was a good decision. But look, (laughs) I'm proud to share my collection. I'm proud to talk about it here with you two guys. I'm proud to share it with visitors to my home. I'm proud to share it with other Rush fans. Well, we're proud to have you on the Rush Fancast, Ray, and we thank you for sharing your collection with us. It truly is fascinating, and we can't thank you enough for joining us today. Yeah. This is clearly one of the top five moments of my day today. (laughs) (laughs) Can you narrow it down a little more? Could we maybe make it in the top three, Ray? You did a good job cutting my lawn today. That looks good. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Ray, thanks so much. We really appreciate you joining us today. Steve, Jerry, thank you to you both. Continued health and success and happiness. I do appreciate your willingness to have me back, and I'll look forward to my third visit whenever when I'll be promoting who knows what. I'll be shamelessly promoting something else in a couple of months. All right. Thanks so much. So, Jerry, very exciting. Our first two-time guest, and a fabulous guest he was. That's right. I, didn't, I, I forgot about that. He's on twice. Yeah. Maybe he'll be on a third time. Perhaps. Perhaps. That would be exciting. We could do a whole show. Just on his collection. Well, we we sort of just did, but we could do a whole year of shows just on his collection, really. I meant a a completely different podcast. Oh, the Ray Wozniak Collection Podcast. Yes, exactly. We could take one item from his collection and talk about that for an hour. Yes, an hour. (laughs) I was thinking five (laughs) minutes, but yeah, we could do an hour on every ashtray. Sure. (laughs) Why not? Yeah, sure. Well, Ray's just a great guy, and the collection really is fantastic. I mean, you couldn't see, I mean, you couldn't, obviously we were doing this via Zoom, so he was showing us various items. We're going to post photos of some of those items on Twitter and Instagram so you can see them. Yeah, I love Ray. We met him first time in Toronto, and he's just a great guy to talk to, easy to talk to, knows his stuff about everything, really. So yeah, we'd have him on anytime. Ray, we'd love to have you back whenever you want to come back. And I think that should wrap up the podcast for today, Jer. Okay. You can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are the RushCast. Email Jerry. Let us know what you thought about the Ray Wozniak collection at therushcast at gmail.com. The base intro was done by Lex. And our fabulous quote is provided by Jerry. And here it is. I forgot I had to do a quote. <laughs> Are you serious? I totally forgot. I know. Okay, I got it. I got it. A planet of playthings. We dance on the strings of powers we cannot perceive. The stars aren't aligned or the gods are maligned. Blame is better to give than receive. So true. It is. Thanks, Jer. All right. Thank you, Steve. Take it easy.